If you're like me, the first thing you do when traveling is check out what's happening with the local food scene, right? And as I've been planning my big book tour and live podcast tapings all around the country, man, I am very excited to eat my way across the nation. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, and so many more. Going to local restaurants gives you a great taste of that place. And if you pay your bill with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum Amex, you get double miles at restaurants. Getting a taste of local food is the best way to get to know the local culture. And if you travel, you know that's how it's done. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. I am extremely excited about what's going on at Whole Foods Market right now. It is the Taste the Mediterranean sales event, a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie, Whole Branzino, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon. Right now, they're on sale at Whole Foods, okay? Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. First, James, we're in your apartment here yes. in Brooklyn. Like, just show me around. Some people have books on their bookshelves. Yeah. You have, you have a couple of shelves that are too. packed with a range of cookbooks that cover a range of cuisines. But there's a lot of other things on the bookshelves that are not books. Yeah. I almost treat these as, like, my convenience store okay. slash, like, pantry. So what are some of these items on the shelf? Yeah. So there is, like, my instant noodle aisle uh, where <laughs> I just kind of have all different kinds of instant noodles. And on top of that, there is my snack aisle. This is not, like, art. This is actually, you're going to eat these. Yeah, but it's a little bit of both because I get pleasure of looking at grocery items. So, like, I go to grocery stores to, like, be happy. <laughs> and, like, as my hobby, like, <laughs> you know, shopaholics, like, window shop at, like, different stores on Fifth Avenue. I go to, like, Queens and go to, like, five different grocery stores and just walk around the aisle. <laughs> that is, like, my hobby. <laughs> so it's really hard to find friends who will do that with me. <laughs> James, I will walk around a market with you anytime. Thank you. <laughs> this is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. On today's show, we're featuring two new cookbooks we're really excited about and the stories of the authors behind them. Later on, I'll talk with Adina Sussman about her new book, Shabbat. Adina spent years helping to write recipes for other people's best-selling cookbooks, including Chrissy Teigen's. Only recently did she start putting her own name on the cover. We'll hear what changed. But first, James Park, who's just put out his debut cookbook, which has more than 50 recipes, all of them using chili crisp. Now, if one person could pull that off and make it amazing... It's James. And when you hear his story, I think you'll understand why. I met James when he interned for The Sporkful years ago, but we kind of lost touch. Then, a little while back, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I see this video about how to make a Korean corn cheese dip. And it looked so good, I was mesmerized by the cheese pole. How cheesy that is. Oh, my God. So loud. I shared the video. Then I watched it a second time, and I was like, wait a second. I know this guy. It was James. His Instagram handle is Jamesy World, and he's created this really inviting, warm universe of food for his audience. His bookshelves, filled with snacks, treats, and ingredients from around the world, feel like an extension of that universe. Okay, so my friend from Korea, she like brought a bunch of like snacks from Korea that I just feel 
kind of like sad to open up and eat, so it's kind of like my treasure thing. <laughs> you, you got some uh, baked corn almond snacks? Yeah, and there's a garlic bread chocolate that you're supposed to air fry. What? I know. So this is a chocolate, but like it has a garlic bread flavor, but you're supposed to air fry it. <laughs> have you have you had that? No, because it's like it's I don't it's know. So special. Like once I eat it, like it's gonna be gone, and like I don't want it to be gone at the same time. And I also want to point out my Ida Garten shrine. <laughs> <laughs> so here is a candle of her face that says, "How easy is that?" And you have uh, this is a legit Ina Garten shrine. What is it about Ina Garten that you love so much? Oh, God, I mean, I, I know many people love her. But yeah, I mean, you. she just makes so many people happy, and that's kind of the same line of like what I want to do. Like Ina, James's approach to food is full of joy. But he had to go through a lot and travel very far to find that joy in the kitchen. He was born in Puhong, South Korea, an oceanside city in the southeastern part of the country. He lived with his family in a gated community for employees of the company his dad worked for. All the students at his school were the children of those employees. And it was a little strict in a way that Everyone had to like have a very short hair, just all the uniform, you know, like you have to follow the rules. And I am a very free spirit in a way that I felt like it was really stressful to be in that kind of environment. I still like got good grades and such, but I will never forget like all this traumatic experience of like being called out by my teachers because my glasses were too fashionable for a student. I got slapped by my home teacher because my hair was too long in front of the entire class. I feel so um, oppressed in a way. You described yourself as a free spirit at that time. Um, did that also play out at that young age with food? I think so, because my parents were both working. And one thing that I really wish I had is just, like, memories of, like, you know, cooking with my mom or just, like, seeing someone in the kitchen. I basically took care of myself I didn't want to eat, like, instant ramen every day, so I watched, like, TV to, like, follow the recipe, and there was a little coin box that my parents, like, added, and I looked through it and see what I could get at the supermarket and just kind of figure out myself how to cook. Looking back, like, I think I was always very much, like, interested in, like, cooking appliances or watching other people eat, <laughs> you know, all of that. It, it, it sounds to me like that was, like, the one time of the day where you, where there were no rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never. Is this, like, a therapy session? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was my attempt of trying to recreate the type of a family environment that I wanted to be in. I think I always wish my mom were like, stay home, stay home mom. Um, and just kind of like, sorry, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's just intense um, stuff. Yeah, um, because there's n really no one who would like give me afternoon snack or make me food and 
I remember um, I loved being sick when I was young because that would be like the time that my mom would like come home early and like make juke and like you know actually like see her in the kitchen to take care of me and just like hearing her clean the house and like stuff like that it like made me so happy knowing that my mom was at home. But as James says, those days when his mom came home early were the exception. As a young teen, he felt lonely at home, and he continued to have a hard time in school where he felt like he couldn't really be himself. Then he was offered an opportunity, a way to get out. His tutor was moving. Her husband was going to medical school in Texas, and she offered to take James with her. His parents would pay them. So my parents at the time thought, you know, James hates being in school and, like, stress. And my brother was really advocate of, like, you know, I think he'll be really great. It was, like, a perfect situation uh, because I just wanted to escape. So when James was 13, his parents agreed to let him move to America with this Korean couple that he knew, just to try it out. None of us, including myself, imagined that it would, I would still be here. Right. This was never, like, a long-term thing. Within a year after arriving in Texas, the tutor and her husband ended up having to move again, and they couldn't take James with them. But at that point, he didn't want to go back to Korea. His mom had a childhood friend living in Alabama. She ran a business hosting Korean high school students like James. So he moved there, where he was one of several kids living with her. She never, like, came to my award ceremony or any of, like, you know, things that I participated. And I always felt so like lonely at those kind of places because like those are made for like parents to take pictures and like all of that but like I just didn't have anyone who would show up for that. I think she didn't know what type of a person I was so I wanted to get involved with like choir and like theater and all this extracurricular because uh, that was kind of my way of somewhat pursuing my forever dream of becoming a K-pop idol. <laughs> so, <laughs> In this environment, James felt like he had to get out again. This time, he asked for help from his teachers in Alabama. And my theater teacher uh, basically posted, there's this Korean boy who needs home <laughs> on Facebook. And uh, the family that I stay who unofficially adopted me, uh, basically responded, and I moved in on Christmas Eve, and from then, I just kind of became a part of the family there. This new family wasn't Korean. They were white, from the South. And they were very different from the other hosts James lived with in America. He came up with nicknames for his host parents. He called the dad Lurch and the mom Princess. Joining this family required some adjustments. James had essentially been raising himself for so long. For instance, he was used to coming and going whenever he wanted, without telling anyone where he was going or when he'd be back. She had to sit me down, like, James, like, if you are a part of the family, you have to, like, act like one. And, like, I always felt like I have to look out for myself, so, like, I never had this mindset of, like, I'm a part of their family. You know, I'm just on my own, but they're here to just host me. But she was the one who was like, you are a part of my family, I'm your mom, I'm, you're my son, you have to act accordingly. And that was kind of like my wake-up call of like, wow, like she really is my mom and I have to act like that. That family bond showed up in the kitchen too, where Princess invited James to cook with her. She is the one who really like opened the door of like the joy of cooking. 
and she was the one who provided me the scene of like cooking together in the kitchen and like walking me through and like she was the first person who like showed me how to make caesar salad how to make good roast chicken just a very good like american food that i wasn't exposed to and good southern food as well when she was making roast chicken julia childway and she was just kind of walking me through like her technique of like why she always like cooked the bird thigh up first so that like the fat from thigh would like go down to the breast and then when that part of the skin gets crisp she would call all the boys so like it's me and one older brother and one younger brother so there are three boys and like we would literally line up and she would cut little corners of crispy chicken skin and like dangle in front of our friend like what do you say and like I love you and then she would like feed all of us like a mama bird yeah and i i just love that i have that kind of memories i i have so many like food memories that i always wanted to have when i grew up in korea but like now the fact that i have that with my american family is just like i'm i'm just so happy that that exists in my memory James decided to stay in the U.S. for college, but he left Alabama for New York City. If Alabama had given him an education on American Southern food, New York gave him an education on world cuisines. He didn't have a kitchen his freshman year, so he sampled all the restaurants he could, including Korean places. And then, the following year, when he did have a kitchen... That's when I really started cooking to, like, explore what I liked. And I think that really gave me a sense of purpose of like, wow, like I want to feel like this all the time. Just kind of the tendency of no rules in the kitchen. I think that's when I knew that like, okay, I'm going to have a life dedicated to this. James did a joint program at Pace University and the International Culinary Center, basically getting a culinary school degree while completing his bachelor's. He had promised his Korean parents that he wouldn't become a chef. They were worried about his future if he cooked in restaurants. So he focused instead on food media. And in 2017, he interned at the food site Eater. In this world of reporters and writers and editors, he found his place on the social media team, telling stories through videos. Oh my God, do you see this? I did not know that it was gonna come out this beautiful, but I am a proud dad of my adorable Kimba babies. Look at all the layers colorful ingredients and it's a perfect I make recipe videos I make um just like food videos that make people happy and I think that kind of became my tagline in a way because so many people have told me that like just watching me eat and like being myself made them happy I'm not surprised to hear this. James's energy and enthusiasm are infectious. He eats with abandon, to the point that he keeps a small handheld fan at his dining table, because he's often so delighted with what he's eating that he breaks into a sweat. Early on, a lot of the food he was eating on social media was Korean food. But when the pandemic hit, he found a new obsession. I started collecting, like, so many different chili crisps. There was, like, a collection of, like, 10 to 15 different chili crisps. He started diving deep into chili crisp, learning more about it. Now, while the best-known varieties are Chinese, chili crisp is a general term for a condiment made of three components. 
there's an oil, there's a chili, and there is flavoring agent. So depending on what you are using into these three categories, you are creating this endless amount of option. One of the first and most popular brands of chili crisp out there is Lao Gan Ma. I would say the godmother of the chili crisps that really got me into right. the whole exploring It's, it's like of the Heinz world. ketchup of chili crisps. Honestly, yes. Lao Gan Ma has been around for about 40 years, and for many people, it's the gateway chili crisp. But in the last decade, the number of chili crisp options out there has exploded, which is how James was able to find 10 or 15 different kinds on the market during the pandemic, including two of my favorites, Fly by Jing and Kari Kari. Each one is distinctive. They vary in their flavorings, their spice level, and the ratio of crispy bits to oil. James quickly developed his own preferences. Most of the chili crisp oil is neutral oil, but nowadays, like, even Trader Joe's version of chili crisp that is, like, not spicy, but more of a crisp, it's made with olive oil. But if you are using peanut oil versus mustard oil, like, it's a different base. And the pepper flakes are also adding a different layer of, like, are you using kuchukar? Are you using citron peppercorn? Are you using Aleppo pepper? There are so many pepper flakes that create a different blend. So it's like 70-30 of this and like, you know, so much room to experiment. So that alone can be chili crisp. But the exciting part also comes into flavoring. So are you adding soy sauce? Are you not adding soy sauce? Are you adding MSG? Are you adding fried garlic? Are you adding fried shallot? So if you think of it at the formula of these three things, there are just infinite number of uh, chili crisps that you can create depending on your liking. I sound like a nerd. (laughs) Oh my God. James was getting in really deep. He was trying dozens of different chili crisps and eventually he wrote a piece about chili crisp for Eater. A publisher saw it and approached him. Would he like to do a whole cookbook on chili crisp? At first, he felt a little uneasy with the idea. I always thought chili crisp was Chinese condiment. I thought all Chinese family had a version of that. They grew up with it. So that's why I partially felt like As a Korean immigrant, it's not something that I could somewhat touch. But as I started learning more and more, there's a Moroccan chili crisp, there's a Filipino chili crisp. Uh, So many chefs and brands and companies are really infusing different kind of ingredients to create a new blend of flavor. And I think that's when I somewhat felt the confirmation that, like, I could make my version that really had the Koreanness, my preferred crispness. James signed the book deal, and now his book with more than 50 recipes using chili crisp is out. He has three different recipes for actual chili crisps in the book. There's everyday savory chili crisp, very nutty, and garlicky onion crunch. And he uses these in all the recipes, although he also tested each one with Lao Gan Ma. For me, I love the crisp, so I my chili crisp doesn't have that much oil. It's super, super savory, and it also uses, like, Korean red pepper flakes, gochugaru, so, like, it's very optimal for, like, cooking Korean cuisine compared to lagama or a fly by jing that may have more of a Chinese taste. People have right to shop around, just like how people can date around other people until they find the perfect match. And so are you committed to your chili crisp for life, James? I feel like you should taste it right now. <laughs> but but, but I, 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 yes, 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 I will be happy to taste it. But 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 I'm not asking if it's the right chili crisp for me to marry. I'm asking yeah. if it's the right chili crisp for you to marry. I think so. So 
that's why I kind of stopped buying like so many different kinds. But I do buy it as a part of a research because I don't believe in one forever love. (laughs) So I could try some. James loves his chili crisp recipes, but he tweaks them from time to time and uses others on occasion. And as he set out to work on his cookbook, in addition to coming up with a different type of chili crisp, he also wanted to use it in different ways. I don't like that chili crisp has become this uh, afterthought. Everyone just kind of create it and put it at the end, which is a great way, but I can't write a book about make all this thing and finish with chili crisp, you know? Like, I can't <laughs> right. do that. that. That's not going to fill the whole book. Right, so that's when I started thinking of, like, what if I do this? Like, what if I use this as a main seasoning? What if I use this as a part of dessert? So James has recipes that use chili crisp at the beginning, so it gets cooked, which infuses its flavors into a dish differently than if you put it on the top at the end. Dishes like skillet-roasted chili crisp chicken and vegetables or whipped ricotta toast with spicy tomato confit. And yes, he has chili crisp desserts. The condiment is already well known as a topping on vanilla soft serve, but James also does sesame-crusted gochugaru shortbread cookies and a spicy citrus pound cake, among others. When he hit on all these new and different uses for chili crisp... That's when I felt like I, I personally unlocked this, like, world of chili crisps that I didn't know that exists. And I'm not honestly sure that people will be happy to hear about it, but I... I, I think they're going to be happy. I, I want to, like, push the boundary of, like, have you thought about this? Like, have you thought about this? You want to break the rules. Exactly. That is me. I just want to break the rules. That's... That's right. That's you, what that, I want to do That with Korean school crisp. couldn't contain you. Wow. Chili Crisp couldn't contain you, the tradition. I feel like I have tradition. to pay you for this therapy <laughs> session because I see this all gave me even more reason of why I am writing this Chili Crisp book because I'm here to break the rules of what Chili Crisp can do. And I feel like I am the person who will always break the rules. That, my friends, is James Park. His new cookbook is Chili Crisp, 50-plus recipes to satisfy your spicy, crunchy, garlicky cravings. It's out now wherever books are sold, and James dedicated it to Lurch and Princess. One more note, I'm excited to tell you that James and I collaborated on several recipes in my cookbook. More on that coming soon. Coming up, I talk with Adina Sussman about her new cookbook and her journey to becoming more comfortable writing about Israeli food. Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. 
Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Recently, I went into my closet to try to get a collared shirt out, and it occurred to me that I don't think I have bought a new collared shirt in five years. I mean, (laughs) every shirt in there was either really old, or it had some kind of perma-stain situation, or it probably never fit right in the first place. I got to freshen up a little bit here. It's time for something new, right? And spring is coming. Now is the time if you've been looking to refresh your wardrobe, home, or skincare and beauty routines this season. Because, you know, Walmart has genuinely surprising style finds that don't break the bank. This spring, there's only one destination for the latest fashion, home, and beauty inspired by real life. Walmart. I freshened up my wardrobe. I got some nice dress shirts, a couple light hoodies. You know, you need light hoodies for the springtime. Very useful, very comfortable. Discover surprisingly stylish new season favorites at Walmart now or shop it all on the Walmart app. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending. Now trending, your style at Walmart. It's been chilly here in the Northeast lately, and we have been on a big grilled cheese dipped into tomato sauce kick here in the Pashman household. And I've been making the grilled cheese with Hero sliced bread. The kids like the Hero classic white bread. I like the Hero seeded bread. It's fluffy. The crust is just right. And I like that the slices are sliced just a little bit thicker than a lot of other sliced breads. You griddle it in butter. You add some cheese. You dip it in the soup. Phenomenal. And all the Hero breads are low in net carbs and they're high in fiber. All these Hero Breads are delicious and flavorful. They'll give you that soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. So whether you're making homemade grilled cheese, BLT, maybe a tuna melt sounds nice on some Hero seeded bread. I bet that would be really good. Maybe you're doing sliders and the Hawaiian rolls. Whatever it is, Hero has the bread for you. Don't give up being a breadhead. And Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code SPORKFUL at checkout. That's code SPORKFUL at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman, and if you'd like a chance to win either one of the two cookbooks that we are featuring in this week's episode... Here's your chance. All you got to do is sign up for our newsletter, which I think is kind of its own gift. We just email you once a week, tell you what everyone who works on The Sporkful is eating and reading, tell you about that week's episode. It's delicious. It's fun. You're going to like it. And you'll be entered to win each of these two cookbooks, James Parks and Adina Sussman's. If you're already on our mailing list, you're automatically entered. So just get on the list, then you'll be automatically entered into our next giveaway. Sign up by September 29th for this giveaway. Go to sporkful.com slash newsletter. You can do it right now while you're listening. Sporkful.com slash newsletter. One more quick thing. School is back in session, and we want to hear from parents who pack lunch for their kids. What are your biggest lunch-packing victories and biggest defeats? You got any stories to share? You got any hot tips about making school lunches or things to avoid? We want to hear all of it. Send us an email with your first name, your location, and your school lunch-packing story to hello at sporkful.com. Thanks. Okay, back to the show. 
Adina Sussman has co-authored 14 cookbooks, including multiple bestsellers. That means she worked alongside authors like Chrissy Teigen to conceive and develop recipes. It's a very important role, but not one that gets a lot of credit. A few years back, Adina started writing her own cookbooks. She lives in Tel Aviv, and in 2019, she published Sababa, Fresh Sunny Flavors from My Israeli Kitchen. Her latest cookbook is Shabbat, Recipes and Rituals from My Table to Yours. Shabbat is the Jewish day of rest, and it starts on Friday evening with some prayers and, most important in my house at least, a big family meal. Adina grew up in Northern California in a modern Orthodox family. That means they were pretty religious, although not with the black hats and black coats. Shabbat dinner in her home was a cherished ritual and a major event. We lived in a small community, and, you know, sometimes people will find in thrift stores sort of like Jewish travel guides from the 1980s and our phone numbers and all of them. Are you serious? <laughs> 4931639, like the Sussman family, like if you need a place for Shabbat, give a call. And so, you know, oftentimes my dad would bring someone home from synagogue on Friday night, or my mom would get a call about someone who had come to Stanford for a medical treatment, or there was someone in town for a, a convention or a sabbatical at Stanford. And we, yeah, there was always, it was an expanding table. We had three leaves to our table. And, you know, it was a weekly sort of calculation of how many leaves we had to add to the table in order to accommodate all of our guests. Right, like this one's a big one. It's a three-leafer. <laughs> a three-leafer, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why were people coming to your house so much? My father was a physicist, um, and after he got his PhD at Stanford, my parents stayed in California. And it was a very small uh, Orthodox Jewish community. And, you know, because our house had a high level of, of kashrut or kosher observance, we had a lot of uh, a lot of visitors who kept strictly kosher, including Nobel laureates and, you know, authors and, and artists. People knew that it was a place that everyone could eat, so everyone found their way to our house. It was really fun. I mean, I met all kinds of people. You know, I would come home sometimes from summer camp, and my father would drag my suitcase into my room and point at my bed and say, the chief rabbi of France slept in your bed. <laughs> Adina went to college in Boston, then spent five years in Jerusalem. She found work in TV production and spent her free time, as she put it, playing cards, drinking iced coffee, and eating French fries with friends. In 2000, she moved to New York and got a job as a copywriter for Gourmet Magazine, right at the time when food media was on the rise. She decided this was the field for her. The lexicon of food and food people and food world was just a place that I always felt really at home. And I like the idea of sort of shared values and interests over something that we were all passionate about that could take me all over the world and traveling. Um, I think also um, just suits my creative but non-linear personality. And also like I do consider myself creative and artistic, but food is my only medium. Like I'm a horrible, <laughs> horrible drawer, painter, sculptor. Like Right. You're, you're not a polymath. You're a no, one medium artist. I can't do felting. I, I can barely put an origami together. Like I just, there's like, you know, there, I can't right. do a lot. Soon Adina started developing recipes for magazines and she got into the world of cookbooks as a co-author. And I really liked the collaborative process of, you know, being someone else's conduit to help their recipe sort of dreams, hopes and dreams come true. The idea that I could help other people and make a good living at the same time was really something that appealed to me and excited to me. And I got to the point where, you know, recipe developing for other people was really something that I, I didn't envision a career beyond that. 
During this time, Adina was also visiting Israel a lot and writing stories about the Israeli food scene for magazines and newspapers. What I loved about discovering Israel was that so much of the country and its food is instilled with, you know, Jewish history, culture, and heritage, in addition to, obviously, Palestinian, Arab, Ethiopian, Eritrean, and many other cultures that that influence the cuisine here. But, you know, that was also the time that I was becoming less ritually observant as a Jew. And for me, food was a huge door opener, a way to break down cultural barriers and get to know people really fast. And I, and, you know, I did eventually stop keeping kosher, well, it's interesting that you say, you know, that your diving deeper into food seemed to happen around the same time that you moved away from religious observance. Yeah. You know, because I think, and, and and this is probably true with other groups, this is how I think about sort of Jewish identity. To me, it's like there's sort of two parts. There's like the religious part and then there's the cultural part. You can be like not at all religious, but still be very culturally Jewish. Yeah. It makes sense to me that maybe while moving away from the religious part, you would gravitate to the cultural part because you don't want to lose your connection to it entirely. Yeah, yeah, I know. I never rebelled against the way I was raised. I actually was a very positive experience for me and it wasn't um, it wasn't imbued with any extremism or, you know, any of the isms that I find distasteful often with people who are fundamentalist in any way. My family around me is still observant, keeps Shabbat, keeps kosher. And, you know, I take I took a lot from that So you're humming along. Your career is growing. You're you're writing cookbooks for other people. You're doing occasional articles and recipes on your own. And yeah. things all seem to be going well. You weren't necessarily looking for a new path. And yet it seems you found one. Yeah. You know, I had become increasingly enamored with Tel Aviv. And around the same time, I met my now husband, Jay, who's an American Israeli who's been living in Israel for decades. And I ended up moving here about eight years ago. And at the time, my my main work was, I was still co-authoring books and I was working with Chrissy Teigen and I was really enjoying that, that path and that collaboration. You know, through my work with Chrissy, I had gained more of a public following on social media and I decided to really test that and really just post about my life in the market and my life, you know, immersing myself in Israeli food and to see whether that would be of interest to people. People loved seeing the market through my eyes every day, loved when I talked to the vendors, loved when I went to cook with someone in their home, loved when I took a road trip to a winery or an olive oil press or just all the different things that I get to do living in such a small and culturally and culinarily dynamic place. And I did realize that I had a lot to share and that I might be able to do it in a unique way. Adina pitched her cookbook based on her life in Israel, shopping in the market or shook. But while writing the book, she struggled to figure out exactly what she wanted to say. It was definitely a, a challenging moment, personal moment for me because once I sold the book, I did have to stop myself and say, okay, like there are incredible people already in this space. We have Yotamota Lengi and Michael Solomonov and Einad Admani and Alon Shaya and many other people who were writing Israeli cookbooks or Israeli-influenced cookbooks. Um, what did I have to say that was new? What was I going to bring that was going to deepen or 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 advance this conversation? Um, and so I had to really dig deep and realize that going personal and telling my personal story and sharing my own journey through the Shook um, was the way to go. And also, 
that all of those amazing chefs were people with Israeli heritage, but were, that were living in the United States. And I'm actually 100% American and was living in Israel. So I had like a different perspective and it was sort of flipping the script a little bit. So of being sort of a culinary and insider, outsider in a culture and like that, that can actually be an advantage as long as you don't deign to be more of an expert than the locals. As I said to Adina, that can be a challenge in Israel. Israelis aren't alone in this, but they have very strong opinions about how every <laughs> single food is supposed to be made. Uh, yeah. My running joke when we were in Israel last summer was that the one thing you'll never hear an Israeli say is, oh, that's interesting. I don't know much about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so true. Um, my way into Israeli kitchens is by playing dumb and just, you know, I, I defer to the home cook and I let them tell me exactly how it is that they think it should be made. And then if I want to make adjustments, I mean, you know, it, it's shocking to some Israeli home cooks <laughs> to learn that there might be ways that they could improve upon their recipes. Adina forged ahead, sharing her experience of Israeli food in her first solo cookbook, Sababa. It was named a Best New Cookbook of Fall 2019 by the New York Times, Bon Appetit, and many others. Adina was able to give her audience a taste of modern Tel Aviv, which is a rapidly evolving city. I mean, there are more cranes in Tel Aviv, like per capita, I think, than like in many cities in the world right now. There's just so much building going on, so much development. So many people want to live in this part of Israel. There's luxury hotels and tons of beautiful apartment buildings. But there's also still that crumbling feeling, which I love so much. There are Eritrean and Sudanese asylum seekers who have made their home in Tel Aviv. It's a very multicultural place. Yeah, and you know, Tel Aviv's on the Mediterranean, so it's, it's a beach city. In some ways, it kind of resembles like Spain or the south of France. And then you have Jews there who came to Israel from all over the place after being in different places for many generations. So they brought Syrian and Persian and North African cuisine and so many others. There's a cafe culture, incredible coffee, wonderful bakeries, um, food 24-7, people hanging out. It's very casual. You could wear a t-shirt or a tuxedo to a wedding in Tel Aviv and feel totally at home. There's very little formality in the culture. It's a very progressive city. Adina says you can drive 45 minutes from Tel Aviv and be in an ultra-Orthodox town, a transition she says can make your head spin. But Tel Aviv is where she feels at home. And even there, where people tend to be less religious, Shabbat is an integral part of the culture. So it fits with her own approach to her Jewish identity. Shabbat is the weekend. Shabbat is a weekly national holiday. <laughs> it's the time that the country takes a collective sigh of relief and kind of relaxes. And um, people are pretty... Uh, pretty strict about not using their phone for work purposes. I actually sort of had to sort of adjust my New York personality to my Tel Aviv personality when I first moved here. I just took a while for me to even just stop writing emails or sending messages, not even if I expected people to respond on Shabbat. Adina's latest cookbook embraces this culture of Shabbat while bringing in recipes and stories of the Shabbat that she grew up with. There are stews and kugels, the more Eastern European dishes she ate on Shabbat as a kid, and ones that reflect how she celebrates Shabbat now with Middle Eastern-influenced dips, snacks, and cocktails. Not surprisingly, an ingredient that gets a starring role is sesame uh -huh. in all of its forms, halva, tahini, um, yeah. all kinds of things. I love sesame. I love savory sesame dishes. I love sesame desserts. Tell me about this sesame pavlova challah bread. 
in Orthodox Jewish circles, there's a trend to to do sweet toppings on challah. So you'll see challahs that are topped with like cinnamon streusel or crumble or all kinds of things. And I just kind of had this idea, like wondered what it would be like to to put a meringue on top of a challah. I had never seen it before. And I liked the idea of like a crisp kind of sweet element on top of the challah. So I played around with the recipe a lot. And then when, once I added sesame seeds to the top, it like really grounded the sweetness and added even another layer of crunch to the recipe. And just thought it was kind of surprising. And, you know, I do like to create recipes that cause people to take a step back and think about something that they that they're familiar with in a new way. And it's like soft and squidgy underneath and crisp on the top. And um, it's a really fun recipe. But it's also like, it seems to me like it's going to add that, it's going to add texture in a really interesting way. That sort of like fluffy, but crispy egg white texture on top of, of, of bread is going to like, I, I, I need to eat that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fun, challenging and cool recipe. And it's honestly, if you like eat it with really good salted French butter, like you don't really need Ooh. much more. You know? Oh, my God. It's just so good. <laughs> and then I also saw a halva bread pudding with tahini drizzle. That's another sesame dish. Sweet potatoes uh-huh. with miso tahini butter. So you just, I mean, like an Israeli, you're drizzling tahini on just about everything. Yeah, there's even a shaken tahini iced coffee recipe in the book. Um, you know, it's, I had never seen that before. And I just you know, it's incredible what you can do with tahina. It's it's really so versatile and it enriches things. It gives, it grounds recipes. It plays well with sweet things or savory things. The cookbook also reflects Israel's place as a hub for immigrants with Libyan risotto, Ethiopian Swiss chard, and a Moroccan eggplant dish. To Adina, this all makes sense in a place where the food scene is constantly evolving, whether that means new influences coming in or revisiting the classics. Shawarma, which is, you know, sort of a street food staple, is definitely undergoing a renaissance. And there are so many new shawarma places where there's a kind of a quality revolution in the meat that's used, attention paid to the condiments, the greens that are in there, the pita itself. Like it's kind of all come together and there people are re- sort of re-celebrating shawarma, like in my opinion, like very successfully here. That, I mean, when I'm in Israel... That's my priority. My priority is on shawarma. And so I'm here for the renaissance. That's Adina Sussman. Her cookbook is Shabbat, Recipes and Rituals from My Table to Yours. It's available now wherever books are sold. And if you want to win Adina's book or James Park's book, you've got to be on our mailing list. If you're already on our list, then you're already entered into this and all of our giveaways. Sign up by September 29th for this one. Go to sporkful.com slash newsletter. Next week on the show, French colonialism helped spread France's culinary influence across the globe. So what does it mean for food to be considered French? And how do people in those colonized countries feel about the French influence on their cuisine today? We try to answer those questions with the stories of two dishes, banh mi and couscous. That's next week. In the meantime, check out last week's show about the invention of a brand new kind of apple, the Cosmic Crisp. This show is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Editing by Nora Ritchie. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Amado from Portland, Oregon, reminding you to eat more, eat better, 
and eat more better. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.